word. We just got to sing your word. Lord, I love going to church. We get to see the gospel through the Lord's Supper and baptisms. God, we get to pray the gospel. Help me to preach the gospel tonight. And I pray that we would just be a, a gospel people, people that love the good news of Jesus Christ and love to share it with others. And that when the word of God is open, that we tremble before it in one sense, but then also come before your word with joy and confidence, knowing that it is good for our souls to hear. So help me, God, uh, exposit your word and to, uh, and to preach tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4. We're in the middle of a series, of a study, on the rise and fall of the greatest king that has ever lived on this earth. The rise and fall of King Solomon. And so far, we have seen in chapter 1, chapter 1 was about the coronation of the king. So coronation, you know what that is. It's the, who will be king? David's dying, he's old and cold, and then he gives the kingdom to to Solomon, who becomes king. Chapter 2, Solomon then eliminates the threats to the kingdom. Remember, uh, you know, she took out Shimei and Zadok, or not, um, sorry, starts with a J. What's his name? Come on. Help me out here. Joab. Yeah, Joab, the murderer. He takes him out, right? He takes Abiathar out. He takes his brother Adonijah out. All these threats of the kingdom. That was chapter 2 to secure peace. Chapter 3, we learned last week from Colin. He preached on how we are to receive wisdom. King Solomon receives wisdom from God when he asks, uh, when God allows him to, to he, he says to Solomon, I, I, I will give you anything you ask for. I mean, imagine if you got that question from God. Anything you ask for, you'd be like, I want three more wishes or a hundred more wishes, you know. You just go, you know. But Solomon, he's a youth. He's like your age. And he takes the throne. And you would think he doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for a wife. He doesn't ask for a solid dating relationship or followers on, on his Instagram or anything like that. He asks for a discerning heart, a heart that listens to the word of God. Uh, he asks for wisdom. Which is crazy for a young man to do that. And so what is wisdom, you may ask? Wisdom is not knowledge. Okay, there's a distinction. Wisdom is not knowledge. It is the application of knowledge. As one writer put it, here's a definition. Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on, founded on, knowledge and understanding. A good illustration of wisdom is in Captain America, the first, the, first, uh, the first movie. The Captain America are my favorite in the series of Marvel. I think the fighting scenes are, are great. I, I love Steve Rogers, right? So Steve Rogers, he's this tiny, scrawny little guy, and they're trying to find someone to be Captain America, and he's in boot camp. And you remember the scene, he, you know, he can hardly climb things. He's weak. They're picking on him. And then they come to this scene where there's a flag. And they're running and they're like, whoever could get the flag, no one's ever gotten the flag before, but whoever gets it will be able to ride in the Jeep. And everyone's trying to climb and then, you know, he's in the back of the pack and everyone, he's like, get in line. And then he doesn't get in line and gets yelled at, but then he comes and he just undoes his little screw and then the, the, the flag falls and he gets the flag and he, you know, he gets to go in the Jeep. That is, that is wisdom in a sense. He, he, he didn't work harder, he worked smarter, all right? He, he applied knowledge, and then he did what his commander had asked. He outsmarted his platoon. Well, in Scripture, Paul dis- distinguishes between two types of wisdom. 
There's two types. I think Colin used an ice cream illustration. There's lots of wisdom out there. All of them are poison except for one. But generally, there's two. There's the wisdom from God. And there's the wisdom of the world. So where does true wisdom come from? I know you want it. You're like, I want to be like Steve Rogers, right? I want to be like that. I think that's his name, right? Steve Rogers? Yeah, Yeah, okay. Where does true wisdom come from? Well, the wisdom of the world fundamentally is based on man's finite knowledge. It's not, uh, it's based on what he sees. It's based on the material, natural world. Nothing supernatural. So anything that we could come up with today with outside of God is what man's knowledge is based on, okay? That's the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom of God is founded upon the infinite knowledge and character and power of God himself because God is the source of wisdom. He is wisdom. If I were to ask you what are some of the attributes of God, would you say God is wise? You'd probably say God is love, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent. But did you know that wisdom is one of his attributes? It's who he is. He doesn't attain wisdom, he is wisdom. So the wisdom of God is founded in him. I mean, Job 9.4 says, God is wise in heart. Romans 16.27 says that he is the only wise God. So as Mark Jones put it, he says, divine wisdom has in view God's ability to act for his right end. It has to do with act, acting, his, his power and his actions. By God's knowledge, he discerns things. By his wisdom, he acts on such understanding. See the difference? Knowledge concerns with the theoretical, wisdom with the practical. You get the distinction between wisdom and knowledge now, Okay. And it's no different for us, going back to the definition. It's the application. It's the applying of knowledge. So this is key. This is key for you. What is vital to having wisdom is first having the right standard of truth. You've got to have the right knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation. Wisdom is the structure of the house. Okay, But you have to have the right foundation that you make all of your practical decisions off of. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. But then in Proverbs 9.10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, and it's the beginning of all wisdom. So how do you receive wisdom? Because you don't naturally have it. Especially as young people, we don't have it. We're not wise. We're known for our brute strength and our good looks compared to our older friends and, you know, parents and, you know, we're known for that, but we're not known for our wisdom. We don't have gray hairs yet. I'm getting some, so I'm getting wiser. Some of you got your wisdom teeth pulled out, so you can't be wise ever. Uh, I'm just kidding. Bad joke. I did. I got my wisdom teeth pulled out. Um, Terrible. How do we receive wisdom? Chapter 3, you pray for it. You ask God for it. He's the source of it. And then Colin, as he rightly stated, he says that the word of God contains... The Bible is God's self-revelation of himself. Therefore, the word of God contains wisdom, and it speaks of wisdom manifest, which is Jesus Christ. He is wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. 
So that was chapter three. This week, we're going to see the effects of wisdom. The effects. What effect does wisdom have upon the kingdom and then on you personally and, on this, uh, and the effect that it has on this world? And so my aim, my, or the title of my sermon is this. When wisdom reigns, and then it forms a sentence, you will experience three things. When wisdom reigns, that's what chapter four is about. And my aim is to help you see the amazing effects of wisdom on your life, and then to motivate you to pursue and apply the wisdom of God in your life. I want you to pursue wisdom. I want you to know it and to apply it. So, when wisdom reigns, you will experience three things. Let's go to the text and read verses 1 through 19 for the first one. 1 Kings chapter 4. King Solomon was king over all Israel. So all Israel is unified. First Kings chapter four, hope you're there. Verse two, and these were the high officials. And so he named six high officials. Two of them are are gone, but they're in the list, okay? And then in verses seven through 19, he lists 12 governors, okay? So he's ordering the kingdom. He's organizing his kingdom. King Solomon, he received wisdom in chapter three. Now, these were his high officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, was the priest or the prime minister. He was the chief priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar, Abiathar, if you remember, he was banished, chapter 1, were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zabad, the son of Nathan, was priest and the king's advisor. Ahishar was in charge of the palace, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, was in charge of the forced labor. Verse 7. Solomon then also, not he had these six officials, now he had 12 officers over all Israel. These are governors over 12 different areas of Israel. Okay, And one of their jobs was to provide food for the king and his household. Now you've got to understand... Solomon's household, it's not like modern people today. It doesn't have like six people living in a house. It's all of his servants, all of his cabinet members, all of the people that are around him. So it's probably around four to 5,000 people, okay, in a household. So one of the roles of these governors was to provide food for the king and his household. Each man had to make provision for one month in the year. And these were the names. Ben-Hur, first Ben-Hur, in the hill country of Ephraim. Second, Ben Deker in Mekaz, Shaalbim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hanan. Beth Hesed is number three, in Aruboth. To him belongs Soko in all the land of Hefer. Fourth is Ben Abinadab in all of Naphath Dor. He had Taphath as the daughter of Solomon as his wife. Baana, the son of Ahilad, in Taanak, Megiddo, and all Bethshean. That is beside Zarethan, below Jezreel. And from Bethshean to Abel, Meholah, as far as the other side of Jachmin. Ben-Geber and Ramoth-Gilead, he had the villages of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead. And he had the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, 60 great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edu, in Mahanian, 
Mahanium, Ahiamaz, and Naphtali, he had taken Basimeth. Yes, it's not Basemath, it's Basimeth, the daughter of Solomon as his wife. Baana, the son of Hushai, and Asher, and Beeloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua, and Issachar, Shimei, the son of Elah, and Benjamin, Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And there was one governor who was over the land. I practiced that about 50 times. <laughs> I did, for real. When wisdom reigns, you will experience, point number one, order. 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 When you have wisdom, you will experience order. What do we make up of this list of long names? Because if you were reading your Bible in the morning, you'd be like, what do I take out of this? This doesn't apply to me. I just skip right over it, right? Solomon is ordering the kingdom. And so what do we learn? That God's gift of wisdom to Solomon extends not only to moral judgments, if you remember the two prostitutes that he had a judge between, but also extends to the order of your life and the affairs of your life. Wisdom isn't only concerned with moral judgments, but also with an efficient and orderly structure that keeps waste, chaos, and disorder from running our lives, one commentator said. It's interesting. So wise people order their lives. That's how you know that they have wisdom. And you'll see that even in the secular culture. But those that are in Christ, a wise king, and those that are in Jesus Christ, will have order. We live in a very disordered world, do we not? Lots of chaos. I mean, how many of you were anxious this week, and why? I was. Right? Anxiety. What is anxiety? It's when something that you wish to control is, is out of control and you can't control it, therefore you're anxious about it. Pretty much, right? You, there's disorder. And what do we need when our life is filled with disorder and brokenness? We need a God of order, right? We need someone that will order our lives. Someone who's in control. And that's where we could learn from this text as well, that we serve a God who is a God of order. And we see this in two ways. First, in creation. Did you know that God, in his wisdom, created the world? He created it through his wisdom. Jeremiah 10, 12 through 13. First, it says this. First, it is he who made the earth by his power and who established the world by his wisdom. God ordered. He brought order to this life, to this world. There's gravity. There's things that work together, you know. There, we live in an ordered life. That's why we could do science, right? Science is ba- basically you need a con- precondition is for things to be ordered and not chaotic. There needs to be laws, natural laws to base that on. Well, God is the one who created that. He is a God of order. Secondly, he is a God of order in his providence. Do you know what providence is? Why don't we ask the Heidelberg Catechism? What is God's providence? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. And he governs them that no leaf and blade or rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. 
God works all things after the counsel of his will. COVID-19, that was ordered. God was in control of that. That wasn't outside of God's control. He wasn't like, oh no, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do about this, right? He is in control of it. He creates calamity and he makes well-being. That's a verse in Isaiah. He is over all things. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. Yes, even your trials and suffering. All things. All things. He is a God of order. He is in control. That is a hope in trial and suffering, actually. And so here's the application for this list of names. Part of the reason why you live such disordered lives is not because you have a disordered schedule, but because you have a disordered heart. You don't need a new daily planner. That's not why you procrastinate. That's not why you get up, why you don't get up in the morning and read the word. It's not why you, you don't spend time in prayer. It's not because you need to order your life. There might be some practicals there, yes, but primarily it's because your heart is not set on God. God is not on the throne of your heart. Something else is. Our schedules change, your feelings change, but God never changes. You need a God of order, a God of wisdom. And that's what Solomon has. And so he brings order to the kingdom. And one last note on this. Perhaps you are here and you're facing current trials. So there's disorder in your life, but it's, it's from something outside of you that has caused that. That's not a sin. How you respond can be sin. But in our lives, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna suffer. <laughs> but nonetheless, you need to know that God is in control. And you need to cling to the God of order. Question 28. What advantage is it to, to us to know that God has created and by his providence still upholds all things? This was such a comfort to me when we miscarried. And our baby died. Here's the answer. Why is providence a, a, a comfort in suffering? Because it says this, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will, they cannot much as move. In other words, he is the one who's in control. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is the God of order. That's what we need when our life is filled with disorder. And that is what Solomon brings in wisdom. So when wisdom reigns, we see that God, when God is on the throne of your heart, you will experience order. And then secondly, you will experience joy. Joy. Look at the joy of the kingdom of Solomon. This is just incredible. It makes me long for the heavenly kingdom, for when Jesus comes back, because this is what it's going to be like. Look at verse 20. So Solomon brings order. And it says this, And Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They started to flourish. They started to grow in population. They ate and drank and were merry. They were happy. They were happy. That Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms of the Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So Solomon is a king of kings there. 
Solomon's provision, this is crazy, verse 22. Solomon's provision for one day for his whole household was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fat and fowl, for he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsha to Gaza over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And look what it says. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. All the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariot and 12,000 horsemen. And all those officers supplied provision for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. They let nothing be lacking. Barley, also the straw for the horses and swift steeds, they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. The tone of the text is one of joy. The people are rejoicing. Solomon is a wise king, thus he's a wise ruler and a good ruler. It is God's judgment upon nations when he gives them foolish rulers, even today. But here we see a wise king. And what is the result? The people flourish. They were eating and drinking. They were happy. They they were economically prosperous all the days of Solomon. There was abundance of food. They lived in peace and safety. God protected his people. It's joy, joy, joy to the world. That's this, this portion of the chapter. So what do we make of this? Why all this joy? The better question is, what is the foundation of their joy? What, what caused them joy? The foundation for such exuberant, happy, joyous, a whole nation of people that are just exuberant is that God fulfilled his promises to Abraham and David all the way back in Genesis. That's what's going on here. God is fulfilling his promises. Thus, the kingdom is flourishing. And so back in Genesis, how did, how did he fulfill his promises? Well, he fulfilled it in three ways, three Ps, okay? Three Ps, alliteration here. Back in Genesis 22, God promised Abraham that he would give him a people, a people that would number the sand of the sea, Genesis 22, 17. And what do we see? Verse 20 in our passage. There were as many as the sand of the sea. So God fulfilled his promise to a people. Secondly, God promised them a place. That is the promised land, Genesis 15, 18. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So what do we see in the text here? Verse 21, he ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. So God fulfilled his promise. He gave them the promised land. They're rejoicing. It's the land that they longed for for hundreds of years. They finally have it and they have their king. So they have a people and a place. And then in 2 Samuel 7, God promised them peace. Peace. People, place, and peace. That is stability and security. And what do we see in verse 25? 
And Judah and Israel lived in safety, in safety, in peace. Verse 24, and he had peace on all sides around him. When wisdom reigns, there comes joy. And this joy is founded upon God fulfilling his promises. And that's where your joy will come from too. It doesn't come from this world. It doesn't come from the things of this world. It comes from God fulfilling his promises to you. He is the foundation of joy. He is the fountain of joy. It doesn't stem from your school, your grades. though. Those are temporary joys or money and sex and relationships or marriage. That will not fulfill your heart. Everlasting joy comes from God. It comes from Him. God Himself is our joy. And it's true of us today though, uh, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. When God sent His Son Jesus to secure for Himself a people, it wasn't just the Jews, but it was Jew and Gentile. So Jesus secures for Himself a people. He also secures for them a place, the new heavens and new earth. We have not received that yet, but we will. When we reign with him. And then, and then how will we receive the new heavens and new earth? Colossians 1.20. Through him he will reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Ephesians 2.14. For Christ himself is our peace. So gee, in Christ, we're, he, he secures for himself a people, a place, and peace. And that's how God shows his wisdom, not only through creation, but through redemption, through Jesus Christ. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. I love that. Do you want wisdom? You need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus. He is able to make you wise for salvation. And so the application of receiving Christ isn't about receiving riches and honor and accolades and followers on your, on your social media platforms. No, it's about receiving the riches of His grace. That's what you need. We all lack joy. But it's found in Jesus. The world pursues joy through other means, but joy comes through Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross for you. So that's the second thing. That's the second thing, and that's the wisdom of God. It was folly to the world that God would send His Son to die to die. The Jews did not see that coming. But we, though, to those who God has revealed himself, we are wise if we, if we run Jesus Christ. Joy. The result of wisdom reign is, wisdom's reign is order, and secondly, joy, and then lastly, blessing. Blessing. There's more I want to say on this passage, but... I think I will move on and let you guys study the text in your life groups. But joy, there's so many, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to do it. There's so many pictures of Eden, right? Everyone's eating under their vine and their fig. That's garden language. Think about it. Solomon has dominion over all things. Adam was given dominion, <laughs> but Adam broke the covenant. Solomon is given dominion and it's like an Eden-like utopia, right? It, it's wonderful. People are prosperous. But we all know the stories that Solomon and the, and the people, they, they break God's covenant in the end. And so this leaves us looking to Jesus, who is our king. The joy of the world does not satisfy 
But Israel and the joy of the world does not satisfy Solomon. It's only found in Jesus Christ. He is our joy. We must find and order our lives around him and we must find our joy in him. And lastly, when wisdom reigns, you will experience blessing. Blessing. Look at this last section. This is amazing. And I want you to see the the connections here. Because God's purposes for his people were not just for Israel. It was always, the, the whole goal of redemption was always to make for himself a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Okay? So look at verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind or, or largeness of heart. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, Egypt is like ancient Greece. It's like the wisdom capital of the ancient world. So he surpasses all of Egypt, for he is wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kalkal, and Darda, and the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the greatest of trees, the cedar that is in Lebanon, to the smallest, most insignificant plant, the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts. He's a biologist and of birds. So he's a botanist and a biologist and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations, circle all nations, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Everyone, the whole world is going to this king to pay tribute. Sounds like a different story, right? Sounds like a a future story that's going to happen in the future. All the nations, all kings, all peoples flocking to, to Solomon. There is blessing. When you have wisdom, when you have the wisdom of God, and you ground your life on the word of God, you will bless not, you will find blessing not only in your own life, but you will bless people around you. And I love this. What does it say? The first thing, what is the source of Solomon's wisdom? And God gave. James 1, 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. God is the source of wisdom. That's why Paul prays for believers when he says to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Your universities that you're planning on going to, they don't compare to all the treasures hidden in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have far more wisdom than than the smartest doctor or PhD will ever have. Because they don't have Jesus. They don't. They're missing things. All, uh, All wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus and 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 2, 16 talks, talks about putting on the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ if you're a Christian. It's not only... To have the mind of Christ is to be led by the Spirit that you'll be able to understand the wisdom of God. And as Christians, we are to live according to Christ. So, how does the wisdom of Christ help us make practical decisions? 
Well, we love serving because Christ became a servant, right? That's how we put on the mind of Christ. We love our enemies because Christ loved his. We respond in humility when we're reviled. Why? Because Christ responded in in humility when he was reviled. We need, this is how you apply wisdom in your life, students. You need to apply the mind of Christ to your life. What would Christ do? What has he done? And then what does, does he do? And to live in accordance to the gospel. And to apply it to every single situation. You do that, you will be wise. And for those of you that don't know Jesus, here's what God calls you to do through this passage. Just as every king and every person of every nation is going and seeking the king for wisdom, you in your brokenness and sin and folly need to run to the king of kings, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness. And he will forgive your sins. He will redeem you. Pay tribute to him. Bow to him. Submit to him. If you have a disordered heart, he will renew your heart. If you have joylessness, he will give you joy. Anxiety, he will calm your heart. Hopelessness, hope. You need that, and it's found in Jesus. See, when wisdom reigns, it brings order, joy, and is a blessing to all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, which is another promise that God gave to Abraham, that in you, in your offspring, you will be a blessing to the nations. And so Solomon, and thus all of God's people, are a blessing to the nations. This clearly points us forward to the New Testament and to Christ's kingdom. But instead of the nations coming to us, what does Jesus call us to do? What does Jesus call you to do? He says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The nations aren't coming to us, but we go to the nations to bring them to the king, right? And so how are you doing with that? Is that your mission? Or are you the king of your life? I'm just going to go and try to bring as many people to myself. Many people do affirm me, to see me for how great I am. True wisdom orders your life. There is joy when you pursue wisdom. There is blessing, ultimately, when we pursue Christ and then pursue others to live after him. He is the true, truer and greater Solomon. And his eternal kingdom is what we long for. And so, long for that. Whatever you're going through, run to the God of order, run to the God of joy, run to the God of blessing, and receive eternal blessing in Christ Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Lord, so much in this passage. Even just the the eschatological, the end times, how this points to the future new heavens and new earth when we will sit at your table and we will feast. You are the bread of life. Solomon had to have governors provide food for him every month, but you are the living food and you never run out of, we never run out. You are the living water you satisfy. You are the king who has dominion. You are the one who gives peace. Lord, thank you for your salvation. And thank you for this story. Now it shows us the effects of wisdom. So help us to order our lives after Christ, to put you at the center. Help us to stop seeking joy in other things, Lord, to seek it in you and to be a blessing to our neighbors and the people by reaching them with the gospel. Lord, forgive us for our lack of evangelism. 
God, give us a heart and a love for the lost that they may come and see you and pay tribute to you for all the days of their life. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.